Let's pray. Father, this has kind of been our prayer these last few weeks, and I pray will be our prayer throughout our lives. That we would be in the light. That more than anything, our hearts desire to walk fully exposed before you and feel no shame, no guilt, complete and total forgiveness. Washed with love. Amen. John Claypool. Anybody remember the name John Claypool? Does it ring a bell? Any trivia buffs remember that name at all? Well, about ten years ago, the name John Claypool was on the front page in the Minnesota News. was a headliner on every news channel. was actually on national news. John was a troubled boy from a small town. A teenager frustrated by authority and looking for an escape. In that process, he chose alcohol, drugs, and some very questionable friends. And on a December morning in 1975, he also chose a 22 caliber rifle. Twenty years later, at age 34, Claypool voluntarily walked into the Wabasha County's attorney office and confessed to killing his neighbors in Lake City, Minnesota on a December morning in 1975. The town's mayor, Tony Strickland, and his wife, Verona, were the victims behind this 20-year secret that was kept in the dark. And with a 22 caliber rifle, John Claypool, then 14 years of age, shot his neighbors. And he said he just wanted to see what it was like to kill someone. On a Sunday morning after a worship service, John Claypool approached his pastor, Roger Thompson, And he said he had something that he wanted to tell him that would ruin his day. Two years before John was approached, his pastor approached Roger with the news that would ruin his day. I actually had a long lunch with Roger Thompson. Okay, this is before John Claypool came into his life. We were at a pastor's retreat up at Camp Chaminaw, and it was pastors from all different churches, and we were there for prayer. We were just calling upon God to do something within our state and our city. I didn't know Roger, but I just happened to sit across from him at one of the lunches, and I ended up having this deep and long discussion with him. He told me about his past ministry in a church in Colorado, and I was very much interested in that ministry because that senior pastor of the church where he was an associate pastor of had a great impact on my life. That senior pastor had written a book and it had had shaped some of my thoughts with regard to how to do ministry. And at the time, at that church, Roger was an associate teaching pastor. And this church was a thriving church of thousands. Yet unbeknownst to Roger and to much of the staff, the senior pastor of that church was living a lie. He actually had had a secret life that was unknown to others. He was having an affair, and eventually that came out. And in that time, during that secret, Roger told me he, he didn't understand it, but it was just as if, without knowing that, it was like this poison spreading throughout the congregation. 
And as we talked about it, he at one point in the conversation, because you could just tell as I was talking with him, he was so intense. Um, he said, I will never, I will never let a secret hold such a powerful pain over people's lives again, ever. I remember him saying that. It was to this pastor who was sitting across from me two years after that, after a worship service. John Claypool comes forward and says, I have something I need to tell you, a secret that will ruin your day. I remember seeing it on TV and I remember seeing, you know, I'm talking about Roger Thompson and I was thinking to myself as this whole thing was going on, God, you couldn't have picked a better person for John Claypool to go to. See, Thompson later notified his attorneys who told Claypool that it was unlikely that he could be convicted of his crimes without his testimony and any evidence. In fact, the attorney, Roger, uh, Paul Rogoshevsky, advised Claypool to go on with his life. And Claypool, with Pastor Roger Thompson standing beside him, insisted on a confession. And with the confession, listen to what Claypool had to say. He says this, The worst secret of my life has just been revealed. And now that it's out in the open, it's losing its power over me. I don't want to keep this in the dark. I don't want to any longer be hiding in the shame and all its poison that's affecting me and others around me. I don't care if there's a cost to this. I've got to step into the light. I want to be in the light, like you, Lord, are in the light. Well, John Claypool, with his confession, discovered what I believe many people never experience. In fact, I think many people go to their graves hounded and imprisoned by the pain of unconfessed secrets. Fearful of the consequences of confession, they live a life that's filled with pain. They're daily fighting accusing voices of shame. They're weighed down with guilt, robbed of joy, living in fear. Jesus came, guess what? He came to free people from that. He came to free people of pain-filled secrets. He came to release the captive who is bound by shame and who lives with the weight of guilt and who fears consequences of unconfessed secrets that fester, I believe, like a poison and spreads throughout one's own soul, through one's family, and through to others as well. As Pastor Thompson said, the day after Claypool pleaded to two counts of intentional second-degree murder, think of that, the day after that, Roger Thompson said, the power of secrets on our lives is enormous. The illustration of this is that when the worst secret of John Claypool's life came out, even in prison, he started to live. And he would still agree to that today, John Claypool. I want you to look in your, your Bible, if you have it, or we'll put it up on the screen. Psalm 32, it's another secret. A man named David, who was king over Israel, lived with the secret for many, many months. We're not sure how long, but it was a long time. And after he finally decided to step into the light. In fact, he was coerced in the light. Maybe this message will coerce you in some ways to step into the light. 
David wrote this psalm and delivered what I believe with a, a, just a heart-filled sense of relief and joy. This psalm. The context is David had committed adultery with another man's wife. That was the sin. He committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. And after that had happened, he had found out, I'm sure at some point, that she was pregnant. Finding out that she was pregnant, he chose to bring home Bathsheba's wife, who was a valiant military man. This, this husband, Uriah, was one of the, you look in the, in the Old Testament, he was one of the, the valiant men who's listed. He brings him home, desiring that Uriah would have this kind of leave for a few days, who would spend time with his wife. He would think that he got her pregnant and it would all be cleaned up. It's a great cover-up whenever we have these kind of things that occur in our life. We want to cover them up. We want to suppress them or we repress them. So David brings Uriah home. He has dinner with Uriah at the, at the, the castle or at his um, court. David does. And, and I'm sure David, as he's having dinner with him, wants, you know, asks all kinds of questions. Well, what's it like in the front? How's it going? Just wanted to hear from you what's going on. He gets Uriah drunk, hoping that Uriah will go home. But Uriah is so valiant, he basically says, I won't go home. He sleeps kind of in the hallways and says, when the men and my men are, uh, and, and fellow soldiers are out at war, I won't go home to be with my wife and enjoy the pleasures of being with my wife. But David's a little upset. The plan isn't working quite like he'd hoped. So David has him again another night and has him says, you know, you need to really do this. And the whole thing happens, happens all over again. He won't go. And David understands here is a man of valor and truth and bravery. But he's got to cover this up. So he makes a choice. He decides to send Uriah back, sends him back with a few servants and with some notes, which we would always he would do to go to the general. He gives it to the, the, the servant, gives it to the general. The general reads it and it says, I want you to move forward with Uriah in the front. And when a certain time comes, I want you to back up, but Uriah won't know it. So Uriah will be left exposed and be killed. This is a man who's called after God's own heart. And Uriah is killed. The sin is one thing. The move to cover it up is, is what the Bible calls evil. And wickedness is the covering up that begins to just harm many people's lives. Finally, a man named Nathan has the guts because God says, I want you to talk to David because David does have a heart after mine. David is the kind of person who wants to live in the light. So Nathan comes to him in, in, in a very, very, um, very poignant, illustrative way. Brings before David the story of a man who had lost his only sheep. And then he finally um, gives him this word picture. It penetrates David's heart. And David's upset because this guy could take someone else's sheep. And David says, guess what? You're the guy who did that. And David, at that point, has a choice to make. Confess and get real with God and others or continue to hide. David chooses to confess. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin does not count against him and in whose, hope, whose spirit is no deceit. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly or wants to be godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. First thing I'm going to share with you is unconfessed secrets. Just as David said, they rob you of, of blessing. They keep you from experiencing the joy, the presence of God, the peace, the goodness of life. See, David, like John Claypool, experienced God's blessing when he confessed. When he brought this pain-filled secret out of the darkness and into the light, the poison, the guilt, and the shame began to drain from his life. Not when he was confronted, but when he confessed and got open with it. So David says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, not covered up, but are covered by someone else who loves you. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him anymore. He, he's, he's kind of going, Bathsheba, killing Uriah, you know. And God, when he confesses and he asks forgiveness, no longer holds his hand counting any sin against him. And then he says, blessed is the man. And, and blessed is the person. In their spirit is no deceit, no hiding. No hiding. It's as if a huge weight had been lifted from his shoulders. A burden had been rolled from his back. There was no longer any deceit. He was actually out in the open before God and before his fellows, men and women. God held nothing against him, and he held nothing back from God. I've been speaking the first week here. The goal is to live in the light, get things into the open. Growth comes by loving the light, which says, I want to be in the light as you're in the light. Every day, every moment, I want to be in the light. But you know, to enjoy the gifts of joy and freedom and peace and all the things that God wants you to experience and the blessing that he wants to pour in your life, it comes when you actually are in that place of confessing and getting out into the open. This living and loving the light. Grace is the gift in the heart of God that says, I love you and I want to be intimate with you. I am not here to punish you. There may be some consequences. But I'll be with you even as you walk through those. There's two types of secrets that I think God wants us to expose to the light of his presence. to, To come to him with confession and to ask for forgiveness. And if you fail to confess them, they will actually bind you and control you and, and cause you guilt and shame. In fact, just the thought of being, having those exposed usually scares people and causes their palms to get sweaty and, and break out in hives. You know, think about it. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. The most shameful thing in your life. Now, I'd love it if I asked you to kind of put that on a piece of paper, right? Write it out, put your name by it, hand it in, and we'll put it up on the board, right? Just the thought of that. Well, there's two kinds of secrets. 
There's the unconfessed conscious secrets, those things which we're aware of, which we can recall, things that we have done or maybe have been done to us. And our responses to them, these are the things that we know about, which we try to hide. We actually suppress is, is the idea. We try to live our life forgetting about it. Like David or John Claypool, these are the things that, have been, that we've done, which we cover up and forget and hope they'll just go away magically. They can be past actions, things that we've been ashamed of when we were younger or we did that we regretted. It may be an affair. It could be drug use. It could be abortion. It could be stolen money or property, the way you've treated someone. It could be present secrets, a secret relationship through the Internet, an addiction to pornography. It could be alcohol, anorexia, bulimia. It could be family secrets, you know, those things that you think nobody knows about, but, you know, everybody does, but they won't talk about David's sin was like that. How do you tell the king that what he's dreamed for, what he's been working for, what he's been trying to build, he's destroying because of what he's done and through the secret that he's trying to hold, that all the kingdom knows about, but he, in a sense, won't get real about. Here is the king without any clothes. They can be past actions and present secrets which we seek to suppress. But they can be unconfessed, unconscious secrets, things, things that I believe not just suppressed, but they're actually repressed. Something, again, that you've done or has been done to you that's so painful that you have wiped it out of your conscious memory. That's possible. Those unconfessed, unconscious secrets often occur when a person is younger. They're so painful, they're so shameful, that God in his grace, in his goodness, allows for a person to repress it to such a degree that it does not control them for a period of time, at least consciously. I've met with a number of people who have experienced that. And whenever I speak to a group, there's some people who have that in their lives. Over the years, I've gotten letters and worked with those people who have had repressed memories, who through counseling begin to start working through it, and God begins to expose it little by little as they begin to understand that God needs to do it because it begins to bubble up if you don't, and that begins to affect your life. And, and when it does begin to affect your life, usually people come forward and go, I don't get what's going on. But no matter what form that secret may take, God's word is clear. Left covered up and buried, they will keep you from blessing in life. So David goes on and he says, unconfessed secrets, not only do they rob you of life, they destroy your life. There's one thing to have something robbed from you, but there's something different than just having it robbed, taken from you. Now it begins to take away things from you. It destroys. And those kind of unconfessed secrets, whether they're conscious or unconscious, I look a lot like they're like toxic waste. They sit down there and they just seep out and they have an impact. So Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David speaks about the destructive power of a secret in this way. He says, when I kept silent, when I wouldn't get it out into the open, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The primary way secrets affect us is by filling with, with, with shame and guilt and fear on a regular daily basis. First, let's just take a moment and look at what it's like when you have a, what I call a, a secret which you're conscious and you know and how it impacts you. I remember when this happened in my life. You know, it's one of these things that only a few people knew. Probably, I think it was about three of us who knew. I did something in sixth grade and I lived with this secret for more than a month or so. And it had this incredible impact upon me. It was the first time God brought me face to face with guilt and fear. 
It was a really dumb thing that I did. And they often are, aren't they? The dumb things you do. I had seen some older kids. They were, they were taking pennies and they were throwing them against the window at New Hope Elementary Grade School. And the window was next to the door. It was a big glass window. And it was a bit into the fall, about the end of September, maybe the first part of October. And I was watching them and they were throwing them and they were nicking, making little nicks in the window. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. I was a sixth grader watching these eight, like ninth graders, I think. They got done, they left. And two girls showed up that were in my grade. Still remember the, well, I remember both their names, in fact. Anyway. And I liked one of them. And I wanted to impress her. I thought this would be really cool. I'll make some nicks in the window. And so I take this, I look in my pocket, I have no pennies, and I thought, well, you know, a little rock will work just as well. Well, you adults are thinking of your middle school kids right now, right? Oh, man. I take this rock, I, I whip it against the window. The first one I throw hits it like that. Whack! And I say, look at you guys, see what it does? And they come up with me and they look at it and here's like a little, you know how you get those little kind of BB kind of hole things and then it kind of spider web kind of out. And I'm going, oh no, I'm filled with shame. I'm feeling this sense of fear. They're not real impressed <laughs> at all. They left and I left and I lived every day for the next, it was almost, a, it had to be almost a month and a half. It, you know, it felt like eternity. But looking back, I think it was about six weeks. And I remember living every day. And every time my mother called my name, I thought she was going to expose the secret. Honest to God, it was that real. And I would go to school and my class happened to be, here's the, here's the door with the window. My class happened to be, if all you had to do was go in the door and to your left. And I went to this door and walked all the way down the hall. I couldn't go by it. This secret controlled me with guilt and with shame, constantly living with fear. It sapped me of joy. It sapped me of all kinds of things. I didn't interact with people the way I wanted to interact with people. And I remember day after day sitting in school, always wondering when my name would be called by the teacher. Oh, no, here it is. And one day my name was called by the teacher, Kevin. Um, we're supposed to be studying. He says, could you come up to my desk? And uh, she said, the, the principal would like to see you. Okay. So I went to the principal. And he told me, he said, Kevin, I'm aware that you did it. And I just immediately started crying. And he said, Kevin, I'm, you know, you've got like a few days here to the end of the week next Monday. I'm going to call you back in and talk to you. He said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell your dad. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Great choice. Unconfessed secrets just haunt you, fill you with guilt and shame. Our lives are filled with fear. We're fine until someone starts talking about the IRS. We're fine until someone starts talking about right to life. We're fine until someone starts talking about marital faithfulness. We're fine until someone talks about the internet and pornography. We're fine until some topic comes up that you are running from because of the secret that controls you. 
Some secrets are conscious, like mine. Some are unconscious. One person, I've had a number of these letters. I'll just Throughout my childhood, one writes, and into my adulthood, I continue to become ill every spring. Only years later would I understand what my body was trying to tell me, that the pinnacle of my abuse occurred in the spring. Another person writes, it began to sink in that my family had some real problems. No one ever talked of my father and his drinking, let alone saying he was an alcoholic. No one ever discussed my mother's suicide attempt, saying it instead it was just an accident. And although money was a major problem in our family, no one talked about it unless to ask for some. You ever live with those kind of family secrets? She explains that she had nightmares of being mauled by vicious predators. She would dream of large beasts that would rip her apart and destroy her, even though she had never had any sort of attack by a wild animal. She dreamed of these things, and she was afraid to go to places where those predators were. This is how this unconscious, not just suppressed, but actually repressed memory. She didn't have any idea of what had happened. It just leaked out and began to rule and destroy her life. She says, it was difficult to swim in the ocean because I feared a shark attack. It was difficult to walk through a forest because I feared being mauled by a bear. It was so irrational. And therapy didn't help much, she said. She writes, the nightmares continued, even though I was away from a family, working a good job, enjoying the city life, and, and he actually married with my husband. And I started to have questions that, and, and one that changed my life was the one when I asked my mother one day, when did my father and I begin fighting the way we did, I asked. And before she spoke, deep inside me, the fear I had been carrying for the past few years surfaced. Anxiously, I interrupted and asked if the fighting started when I became a teen and started to get into trouble. Was it when I began to get into trouble that Dad got angry? As my mother leaned on the counter, she turned slowly toward me and said, No, it started before then. When? I asked nervously. About the age of 10 or 11, she said, and then she paused. Then from my mother came the words, it changed when I caught your father with you a few times. I froze as the understanding sunk in. My biggest fear was now reality. Yet at the same time, I was deeply relieved. All of a sudden, with the circumstances in perspective, I felt I was not crazy. After that, my world began to change. I finally was freed from the nightmares which had stalked me for many years. I still watch for predators, but not with the same fear. Now I know I am afraid of sharks and bears, and with every other thing that would attempt to eat me alive, I realize these dreams were symbols of my fear, or what it feels like to be mauled or abused as a prey to childhood abuse. I could read more. But here's the thing I want you to know coming away from this. That these unconfessed secrets will not only rob you of life and the blessing God wants, they will actually begin to destroy your life. But here's what you need to know. Unconfessed secrets are forgiven because there's a God who loves you when you expose them to the light through confession. You don't have to live with that secret. As long as we keep the secret hidden, it has the power to control us. It drains us of energy. It's like, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the game, but have you ever seen those games in those arcades where you're trying to hit these little things that keep coming up? That's what your life becomes. You're just like this all the time. Your energy goes over here rather than just being free. I don't know many things worse than carrying a shameful secret. Its power is so destructive. And I look at you, and I don't know what your heart and life is, but I look out and I say, if there's that possibility that either you have repressed or you're seeking to suppress some kind of secret, whether it's a past one or whether it's a present one, there is hope in the confession that comes through Jesus Christ. 
Claypool said it when he looked back over those 20 years. He describes it as hell because he always had this nagging guilt. He said, I just couldn't get into relationships with people because I couldn't be honest with them. I couldn't be honest with myself. I couldn't be honest with them. I couldn't be honest with God. And through David, when he says this by his word, he says, he says, my strength was sapped and I acknowledged finally my sin to the Lord. He says, what everyone who desires to walk in the light, to be godly like God, to walk in the presence of his love and grace, run to the throne of grace. You will hear songs of deliverance. You will begin to live with these songs instead of the voices of accusation and shame. So David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Today, today is the day of your salvation, possibly. Surely when the waters rise and they, they, they look like they're going to reach you, they won't reach you. Because God now becomes your hiding place. You are my hiding place. You will protect me and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. And the voice of God says, seek me while I may be found. Call on me while I am near. Turn to me and I will have mercy on you. Turn to me for I will freely pardon. And the word of God sounds way too good to be true often. It just sounds way too good to be true. It sounds way too good to be true that you could do this, this evil, wicked thing like David himself did. And you could, through confession, find forgiveness. But you can. Because there's grace in God. And the word of God sounds way too good to be true. Because he says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and guess what? You'll be healed. There is those times when you need to actually take some of these, and you need at times to go to someone safe, or maybe a couple people safe, because you need the witness of another person, who that person is the love of God in flesh towards you. That's why Jesus came and incarnated himself. That's why he came into this culture, and he hung around with tax collectors and sinners, and the people who understood that they were. Far from God. Who were humble enough to admit they needed God. And God the Father through His Son Jesus, through the Spirit of God, wrapped His arms around these kind of people who are willing to confess their sins and their secrets and get open and run to Jesus as you can run to Jesus today and say, Jesus, here I am. And there are times you need someone else around you who can just put their arms around you, real arms, and say, I love you and your Father in Heaven loves you as well. Jesus is here for you. And David and John Claypool and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of others who have brought their pain-filled secrets to the light have found the healing power of Jesus Christ. And there are people that are walking near you every day who need your prayers, who need your life of non-judgment and grace so they can expose what's in their heart and find healing. And David would say, don't wait while the Spirit of God convicts, while the door is open, while there is a shaft of light bursting through this morning, confess. Find forgiveness. Well, to end my story, I stood before the principal and I told him, okay, I'll tell my dad. I didn't say it that I was like, okay, I'll tell my dad, you know. And it so happens that I was pretty strategic in this because I remember it, I waited a day because I knew that next day, that next night, there was a football banquet and I was going to be honored. And so we went to the football banquet and my dad was so proud of me and, and I'm just not enjoying any of the banquet. I should have done it before. 
we go out, and he says, let's go to McDonald's Cab, which is a big deal because we didn't have much money. And I remember times he would say, you can have my French fries because you know, we just – and he, we, we got shakes, and we sat next to each other, and he's sitting next to me, and we're talking about stuff. And I said, Dad, i got to tell you something. And he says, what, Kev? And I start to cry, and I tell him about this window and about this rock, and about I'm trying to impress these girls. And I, and I'm, I think in his heart, he's just dying of love for me. He sees an incredible amount of pain. My, my eyes are red with tears, and, he, and I'm ready to get blasted. And he puts his arm around me, and he says, Oh, Kev, we all do stupid things. I love you. And he graced me. He taught me how to step into the light. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Right now is an opportunity. Your Father in heaven is here and present. And there is a shaft of light into your heart and soul because you've heard the truth. And you may be in that position where a secret has controlled you or is controlling you. And you're saying in your heart, God, is it really true? Is it true that if I confess, I can find healing? And the truth is you can you can right now. And I'm just going to ask you to just pray if, if this is in your heart and you want to pray it. Just confess it, which confess means just agree with God. God, this is what I did. Uh, maybe it was stupid, totally selfish, whatever it is. God, right now, I just bring it into the light before you. And God's heart has been aching. He's been crying. He's been waiting for you to get it out into the light. And now... He puts his arm around you. His spirit is upon you. And giving you his love and his peace. I have to say, if you've done that, even if it's just one of you today, please make sure, either talk to me or to someone else who you really feel safe and you trust, and share it with them. You may not even get into the details, but you may. But share with them so they can put their arm around you and say, I am with you. No matter what this means, I am with you because God is with you. I ask you to stand, would you? And I just have to say, I know in times like this, and I'm glad the lights are low. Because, you know, I know, I can hear, there's responses, there's tears. And some of you might be thinking of a child that you love, or you might be thinking of a friend or a relative, and you're just in your hearts praying for them. Father, hear these prayers. Do in us as a body the kinds of things that can only be done by the Holy Spirit of God that would come with love and grace and mercy and truth. We pray. Amen.